welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And today we're going to discuss the second episode of season four titled Fallout. And one of the most exciting things that we both enjoyed about this episode was that it was again a little bit of a return to form for some things we saw with Kara in season one, specifically with her dilemma of having to act normal around someone so they don't figure out her secret. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things that is sort of core to a superhero story, specifically with the supers. So it's always fun when they get back to the promises of the conceit of the show, which is, you know, Kara's a reporter and she's a superhero. And I thought something that was fun was sort of comparing the conceits and the sort of premise of the show to their narration that they have. Oh, you mean like the uh, opening credits and the title card? Mm Mm-hmm. Cara goes, my name is Cara Zorel. <laughs> How does she say that again? <laughs> my name is Cara Zorel. I'm a refugee on this planet. So when you hear this beginning narration, it's kind of what you expect to see in the show. So we have her mentioning how she's a reporter, but she's also secretly working with the DEO as a superhero. And we saw in this episode her play upon that in a way that we don't always get to see. And I really miss it when it's not played upon frequently. Well, that and it was a nice return to the balance of comedic and heavier stuff in a way that we really didn't see so much towards like the back half of season two throughout most of season three. Mm. And it was logical because Kara was dealing with a lot of very traumatic issues and very dangerous situations. So it's nice that it's still reinforcing what she said in um, 401 about feeling like things are much better and that she has stuff under control. Like in this particular moment, clearly not everything is under control or going to plan, but the levity is still there. And then given some of the other things that were going on in this episode, that that levity was very necessary. So it was nice that they found a way to weave it in and make it feel like it was a natural fit in the episode. Yeah. After we had that whole sort of somber season three, I think people are wondering, you know, are we going to get lighter stuff this season? How are we going to do that while also having this really heavy topic that feels very personally kind of a downer? And it's sort of finding the balance between that and then tonal stuff that makes it an enjoyable watch and not just a downer. Well, and the important thing, too, is the show ultimately has the message that's meant to be hopeful. So even if it is dealing with really dark stuff or it gets heavy at times, the ultimate tone of it will swing back towards being a little bit more, like, positive in some way. Yeah, this isn't like American Horror Story, which had that one season that was all about politics and, like, a cult, you know? The show walks kind of a really interesting balance between being a drama and feeling more like a sitcom sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's kind of what I like in a show for it to have that range of like, it can get really high or really low. Well, and the other thing to keep in mind, specifically since you brought up this return to kind of the fun of the super stories and also this tropey element of superhero stories in general is I think there's an audience expectation that has shifted over the years because I remember sitting down and watching reruns of the live action Batman and it's all this kind of ridiculousness. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think some people have issue with accepting the secret identity situation and they're like waiting for the characters to all find out and it to be over with as opposed to just having fun with the situations at hand. And and part of that, I think, is because the show hasn't really followed through with the secret identity stuff for a little while. Like, Kara and Lena. Lena, is she the only one at this point who doesn't know Kara's secret? Uh, Other than now, Nia, but I have that obviously is going to change in probably the next, like, five episodes. Yeah. 
So Lena's kind of the one person who can fulfill that sort of dynamic. Yeah, it was weird because they started out with that premise of in theory, nobody knew. And like Alex was stressed out every time Kara did something that might give it away. Mm-hmm. But then Kara goes and tells Wynn in the first episode, James already knows Jean already knows. Really, the only person they're ever keeping the secret from is Kat, and then she figures it out, but we don't get that reveal until later. And it didn't have too much of an effect on Kara in her day-to-day life, because as an assistant, you know, she would have been in and out of the building for different errands and what have you all day, and obviously, she got all her work done, because if she hadn't, Kat would not have kept her there for as long as she did. Yeah, I mean, we saw them play on it a couple times, like, the live wire situation where she ran away. <laughs> In a very similar... Yeah, that sort of, I'm afraid... Except that Kat was the one who gave her the out to leave. Yeah, whereas Lena's like, they have very different personalities. So Lena's like, you stay with me and all. There's security downstairs. Should I go and run all the way down those like bajillion flights of stairs that will take a really long time? And Kat's like, yes, go. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, you have Lena in this episode who's reading Kara being afraid and being like, well, then stay with me because I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As a good friend would. Not aware of the fact that Kara's trying to find an excuse to duck away so that she can actually protect everyone. Mm -hmm. Which which was was hilarious. hilarious. It was awesome. It's exactly sort of what I have been waiting for my entire life. No, <laughs> for the course of the show. Like, I, if you're a fan of like the old sort of superhero media and those sorts of situations, like, there's a lot of love that I feel for that kind of scenario where, you know, our hero has to hide the fact that they have a secret identity and puts them in situations that are both hilarious and kind of difficult because Kara comes off as like just <laughs> a coward, you know, like running away. <laughs> Which car is? It's totally counter to her personality. Yeah. You know what else it reminds me of that will probably be more relevant to, to people? It reminds me of Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> like, literally, that's yeah. the conflict. That's awesome. <laughs> nice. And that's a totally enjoyable conflict. And I, I wish people would just enjoy it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of sad when I see people react to this specific scenario, which was a lot of fun. And, and they're kind of like, oh, this is ridiculous that Lena didn't just figure it out just then. It's kind of like, you got to suspend your disbelief or else you're not going to enjoy yourself. It's true. And when I noted that this situation sort of fulfilled the sort of implied promises of the narration, I noticed as of last season, the I'm a refugee on this planet, emphasizing that immigration theme that we're seeing a lot now, another sort of fulfillment Mm -hmm. of things that, you know, I've been looking for myself in the show. And then we had a shift from season three into season four they changed this section of the narration, which was, but in secret, I work with my adoptive sister for the DEO to protect my city from alien life and anyone that needs to cause it harm. They changed that to protect this planet I call my home from anyone that means to cause it harm. Right. And I think I texted you after I watched the episode and was like, she called it her home. They changed it. Yeah. I'm emotional now. Yes. Um, so that I thought that was cool that they changed the narration to reflect that sort of decision that she made and the journey she went through in season three. And then also they changed to protect my city to to protect this planet, kind of emphasizing that Kara is a hero for everyone, which I think we'll see progress throughout the season. She's very America heavy at the moment in sort of the imagery and, and the stuff she's saying. But I do wonder if that'll... If they're setting it up for contrast later when we get to uh, Kosny and Kara. Indeed. <laughs> 
And then the last thing was changing, protecting the city from alien life and anyone that means to cause it harm to just anyone that means to cause it harm. And I thought that was interesting and, and kind of reflects the situation at the DEO and how their situation has kind of changed from being about just capturing what, like, Fort Ross aliens who escaped and the havoc that they were causing to protecting people from alien life, but also just humans who are being villainous. And that was a conflict we saw with um, Karin Jean in season one. Well, yeah, but they brought up the point about the fact that they were actively holding humans prisoner, and I still don't think that's within the purview of the DEO. So, mm-hmm. and that was a conflict that came up in season one when they captured Max Lord. So it'll be interesting to see how it comes up again, particularly when they finally introduce the um, the new character who's coming in to cause stress for Alex at the DEO. Yeah, hopefully we'll see some addressing of that. And then another thing, of course, that we have been talking about them going back to is Kara as a reporter. And this episode was interesting because it was like a direct inverse of season two, episode three, when Lena was selling an alien detection device and Kara was kind of still learning how to be a reporter. And Kara wasn't so good at putting her opinions aside and writing the article. Yeah. And in this episode, in season four, Lena is actually selling the image inducer, which they mentioned in the conversation at the beginning of the episode between Kara and Lena. And Kara talks about how James is trying to tell both sides of the story, how Kako, they're, you know, representing both sides. And earlier in the episode, James says, only the facts, no spin. And she says, got it, clean and steady, check. That's nice to see because it's one of those things that... It was a skill that Kara wasn't especially keen to learn initially. Yeah. And we didn't really get to see the follow through of her having definitely learned it after the episode in which she did. We didn't see her like apply it in her reporting. The only time we really saw her demonstrate that she had absorbed any of those lessons from Snapper was in 218 where she had actually been fired, but was doing the investigating independently. And we actually did see her check multiple other sources who weren't herself mm-hmm. and kind of try to get multiple perspectives on the issue before jumping to a particular conclusion. That's true. But it's nice to see here that Kara, that she's not quite where Nia is in terms of optimism versus like experience and, and knowing what works. But Kara does have her own struggles with optimism, which you had noted in this episode. Yes, she does. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Kara's being a little too optimistic, at least in her role as Supergirl. Mm -hmm. And obviously some of that is part of the persona that she adopts. She wants to be reassuring. She wants to make people believe that they should be hopeful that they can solve their problems, that working together will resolve things. But she definitely ends up over-promising on what she's going to be able to accomplish in the face of this very nebulous, very abstract threat that she doesn't even understand yet. Mm-hmm. And and this is where I appreciate that they're still showing her as, you know, developing and growing as an adult and in her work life as both a reporter and a superhero. When you're in a position of authority like that, you can't make huge promises that you know you can't keep because eventually it it will backfire. Mm-hmm. So that was an, an, an interesting thing to see specifically because she promises that she's going to solve the problem to the president, to the vice president before he's sworn in. She says it to Alex. And I was just kind of sitting there going, Cara, <laughs> Cara, you don't even know what their plan is yet. 
to know how to stop it. Mm-hmm. Don't go saying things that might not turn out to be true because then all the people who are relying on you and believing in you might get a little angry. <laughs> Ooh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, and there were quite a lot of angry people in this episode, if if mm. you somehow didn't notice. Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit of anger. That was also, in some ways, like a, a weirdly nice return to form, because the show... No, but the show does deal with expression of lots of different emotions, and for a while, because of the kinds of stories that were being told, that was a lot... The emotions were a little bit more flattened. Mm. So it was neat to see them return to these questions of how do you grapple with very base emotions, like anger, like fear, mm. and explore what that looks like, not just for Kara, which they've done in the past, and not just for maybe some of the other main characters, but for all of the people whose lives are impacted by Kara and the decisions that she makes within the DEO and as Supergirl, and then to some extent, the effects of what reporting does too. And specifically, you had that scene of the protest that was supposed to be taking place outside the White House. (laughs) I have thoughts on that. Do you? (laughs) (laughs) I do. So I live in D.C., and I have lived here since shortly after 9-11. And this is where... Supergirl has sometimes gotten criticism that is a little bit deserved as far as elements of the world building go. Mm. And it's come up now a little bit in both episodes that have aired of season four. And it's just, it's an issue of they're trying to expand the world of the show and include these kind of real world issues. But then there's like the details that sell it as being authentic are off. Mm-hmm. And so if you want people to to accept and go with you on this journey, like those details need to be right. So, for example, in the protest scene, I knew what they were going for when I saw it in terms of like what the location was supposed to be and like where the conflict was supposed to be taking place. But the whole setup of it was wrong. What they were trying to do was mimic the deadly protest that happened in Charlottesville where a protester died and was actually run over. However, none of that fits with the culture of Washington, D.C. at all for a number of reasons. The the first one being that the city itself it votes like 98% Democrat, so you wouldn't even be able to find that many people who were on the side of conservatives to be out there picking a fight in the first place. Mm. The Tea Party movement, for example, had a conservative protest years ago, and nobody really paid attention to them, and there weren't that many of them, and then they got bored and went home. <laughs> and, like, that's that's kind of how it is here. And I've been to, you know, there was a protest against about immigration in 2006. There were tons of protests about the war in Iraq. There have been the protests since Trump took over with hundreds of thousands of people, not a single one of them has ever been negative in terms of the overall tone of people. Hmm. So that was frustrating as someone who lives here because it made me have a hard time accepting the reality of the world they're trying to establish because it didn't match the actual world they were showing. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that was frustrating was that the incident where they showed like the news car nearly running the person over would have been impossible because the streets around the White House have been closed to traffic since 1995. Hmm. So it was it was a very manufactured conflict in a way that was frustrating. And then coming off the the detail last week when they showed the different like places that Supergo was visiting, and I didn't I noticed it on my rewatch that they showed what was supposed to be the Prado in Madrid, and I knew it was supposed to be the Prado because you had like the picture of the building with the statue out front and then she rescued a Velasquez painting. But when I watched it the second time, I looked and the statue out front is like a person on a horse and the statue of the museum is a statue of the painter Velasquez. So someone managed to somehow pick like a completely wrong stock photo. Mm. 
Which, like, is a minor detail. But on the other hand, again, if you're going to be expanding the world and trying to grapple with these big, like, national and international topics, you have to get those basic things right. It's kind of like reporting. Like, you have to get the facts or no one's going to trust you. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes the farther along they go, especially as they get more into the contrast between Kara as herself and then the alternate Kara and her world. It's going to be, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see what happens. The one thing that's going to be in everybody's mind is like Winter Soldier. Yeah. Like a lot of people who watch all these shows are watching tons of different kinds of media. So they're bringing their knowledge as an audience to the table in the same way that you bring your knowledge as like a writer, a producer, a showrunner to the table. Mm -hmm. So if the two don't match, you're going to get a lot of discontent on the part of the audience. Yeah. Well, Godspeed, Supergirl. <laughs> right. So now that I've just laid out this kind of like lingering quibble with the way they've sort of progressed some of the world building. The one place where it stood out as being well thought out was in some of the conversation that Lena had with Kara about politics in the episode. Specifically, it was very in character of Lena to be concerned with like the economic implications of a disaster or, you know, a violent transition of power in a democratic country mm. and how that would affect not only the citizens themselves, but also just like it would have ripple effects the world over. So it made sense that she'd be a character who thinks about that as someone who is very much a businesswoman who owns a large kind of multinational corporation and the fact that that was her concern and then you have her also talking to Kara about how she doesn't trust politicians and then she says later to Mercy that she's not interested in um, picking sides. It'll be interesting to see where that goes because it seems very much like the season is setting up to be like everybody has to pick a side somehow at some point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially if we have the announcement that they're casting Lex Luthor. Mm -hmm. So if Lex comes in and he's kind of a very one-sided force, I'm wondering if that might propel Lena more into deciding like where she stands. Maybe. A possibility. Oh, and she noted that she may be interacting with Agent Liberty at some point. In his unmasked form. Yes. And that'll be interesting in terms of being ambivalent about politics in general and politicians and how she'll react to this personality. Oh, and in terms of Lena maybe being neutral or playing both sides, we had discussed whether or not maybe she's selling the alien detection device as well as the image inducer. Yeah, because we haven't seen it or heard about it really since she used it at the end of season two. Mm. But in this episode, we saw, uh, if you missed it, during the swearing-in of Baker that they first tested him with an alien detection device. So clearly, at least the government has it. I don't know if it, like, what sort of distribution model she's using, if she's um, selling to the general public at the same time as she's selling the image inducer, but it's out there being used, at least. It is. And that also then leads to an interesting question of what does that do for hiring discrimination? And if these people have been granted amnesty, do they count as citizens? And therefore, would they be protected by anti-discrimination legislation? Mm. All important questions. All important <laughs> questions. But I was really glad to see it again because... Yes, <laughs> I was also. We talk about it a lot with Lena in terms of her like politics. And if it never comes up again, then it vanishes from people's minds sometimes. Yeah. And we've talked about it specifically because of 
kind of what it says about Lena that even though she wanted to move away from the Luther name, she still has some of those prejudices and tendencies of her family just by virtue of being a member of her family. And even though she's made significant progress in moving away from them, the fact that this was still something that she thought was necessary and that people deserved to have says something about her as a character. Mm-hmm. Just like the fact that she created the image inducer says something about all the progress that she's made as a character. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how like past Lena and present Lena kind of fight it <laughs> out. Into, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She talks about how she like never chooses a side, but at the same time, she's saying like, I want to be a force for good. So. Well, and it's also interesting that she says she'll, she'd never choose a side when in the conflict within her own family, she did ultimately choose a side. Yeah, which kind of goes back to the idea that maybe we'll have to see her confront the fact We'll that, get to see more yeah. of this. Lena is Aaron Burr in the musical Hamilton. <laughs> if you stand for nothing, Burr, what'll you fall for? Lena, who is easily deceived by people who tell her nice things. <laughs> True. And who mayhaps will be Kara's demise. <laughs> Ouch! Whoa! <laughs> Although, you raise a good point, given that uh, we saw some kryptonite floating around. Yeah, which Mercy had said when she was asked about it, that the web is dark and full of fun things, so she got on the dark web. But I do wonder if it came, if it somehow links back to Elcorp. Probably. Yeah. Because it would make sense in giving weight to the conflict Kara and Lena had last year about whether or not she should have created it mm-hmm. under the radar in the first place. Yeah. You know, and they're also using the device that she used, altered herself. Lex's, yeah, the lead dispersal device. Mm-hmm. But speaking of sort of handling two sides of a conflict, we had James, who, as CEO of CatCo and editor-in-chief, although it's unclear what exactly he's editor-in-chief chief of because they have more than one publication but yeah (laughs) no one knows all all confusing things um (laughs) yeah so james's major conflict in this episode was debating how to handle the escalation of anti-alien sentiment and do it in a way that maintained catco's credibility with its readers and its followers and james is in this really difficult position because not only has he just gotten these charges dropped against him that have been persisting for months because he came out as having been guardian? He's also coming off having been under a criminal investigation as a black man in charge of an extremely large company. And he is accountable to a, as we saw in season one, pretty much white board of directors. Mm -hmm. So he's really trying to be cautious in how far he pushes the boundaries at the moment, because if he moves the wrong way, and as he says in the episode, he moves the wrong way too soon, it will alienate people who might otherwise have been open to the ideas that Kako wants to present. And it could put him in jeopardy as far as being a leader of the company and setting that tone of this is the way we are going to report at CatCo. These are our values. This is what we stand for. Mm -hmm. So on that front, he was right in what he says to Nia about, you know, looking at it from the lens of experience and having been in journalism longer, Mm -hmm. that finding the right moment to come out and editorialize is extremely difficult. Because if you do it too soon, you lose people who would be willing to listen to you. But if you do it too late, you miss the opportunity to get them before an opposing point of view does. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, Nia, in her end of the conversation, is very much representative of kind of the, the youth voice on a lot of social issues in a way that made me smile. 
but she's also echoing the point that has been said by a number of journalists over the years. And I remember specifically Oprah Winfrey said this, that she learned this from the first and only time she ever did a segment featuring people who were related to like a neo-Nazi movement, which is that you can't give platforms like that a voice. Mm -hmm. There is no fair when one side of the argument involves advocating for physical harm against people. Mm -hmm. Because if you give them a voice, even if you're trying to expose how negative they are, somebody somewhere is going to find something relatable about them and miss the rest of the message. And then that's one person that you've pushed over into a movement that represents hate, that represents violence. And on that front, that's essentially best practices. Like you can't give them ground to to gain followers by sounding halfway reasonable. Mm-hmm. And I think in part because of all of James's various life experiences, he ultimately recognizes that that is the right move. Mm-hmm. And then when he sees that even within the walls of CatCo, people are being affected by these other messages, he's like, no, okay, I have to, as the leader, take a stand. Mm-hmm. Perhaps not as implicitly obvious as he'd expected it to be. Remember, he, just, he talked about how the readers who agree with them already know. Yeah, but then you suddenly realize and he recognizes, oh, maybe they won't because even my employees don't, mm-hmm. which is something that we talk about frequently in terms of understanding why Supergirl delivers its messaging sometimes the way that it does. Because <laughs> yeah. there are times when it feels really, really obvious and really heavy handed in the same way that in like Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling was like, in case you didn't get it, the Death Eaters are Nazis. But on the other mm-hmm. hand, if you make it subtle, people don't get it. Yeah. So it's hard to find that balance. And we saw that reflected in James's recognition of, oh, no, I do need to come out and say, like, this is not okay. <laughs> Sometimes you have to say things that sound like basic truths. But in terms of James sort of um, coming to this conclusion through his conversations with Nia, Nia said a couple things that really struck me as quintessential James personality things and kind of guiding him back to who he wants to be in the same way that James tried to do for Kara in the Truth, Justice, and the American Way conflict where Maxwell Lord was imprisoned by the DEO. She said, I had to stand up, hold a mirror to that bully's face, and I made a difference. And that was just one person. You are the editor-in-chief of CACO Worldwide Media. You can hold up a mirror to the entire city. And I thought that was interesting because James had given Lena advice about how to handle, he didn't know it at the time, but how to handle Sam and Mm -hmm. get her to recognize that there was a problem. He said to her, no matter how bad you want to help somebody, all you can really do is hold up a mirror. And I felt like it was cool that Nia kind of guided him back to his philosophies. And also, we discussed a lot in the Faith episode, how James has this kind of concept of justice that he values a lot, Mm. and how it was important to him that Supergirl value that. And Nia in this episode said, when innocent people are being attacked, it's not about balance, it's about justice. Yeah, and you saw kind of the lingering shot where you could tell that that resonated with James because that's something he believes very ardently as well. And Makad's talked about that in interviews before. Mm -hmm. And then he ended up titling the editorial, Justice is What Matters Now. And Nia sort of just in general, I think, helped James to realize that he can be a hero as the CEO of CACO. She says, I know you've been under a lot of scrutiny since unmasking as Guardian. You have another chance to fight for justice now. Sort of in his role, like the fact that he can't, we saw in the last episode that he can't really be Guardian without getting arrested. So he has this other opportunity to be a hero, which kind of connects to their overall theme, which is, you know, of being a hero as a reporter. And now to completely change the subject from talking about James and Nia to talking about just Nia 
Did anybody else notice that when Nia was asleep at her desk and we were supposed to assume that she was a typical young person slacking in the workplace? <laughs> like they do. She had, uh, she, she had some serious rapid eye movement happening, mm-hmm. which is generally a signifier of dreaming, which was very curious because as soon as she got up, she was like, I need to leave immediately. I will buy coffee to caffeinate and I will do it at this very specific location where a hate crime is about to happen. <laughs> yes. And of course, if, if you don't recall, we have the information that Nia is going to turn into a superhero called Dreamer and have um, prophetic dreams. So perhaps this was connected to that. It seems like it might have been. Hmm. However, could we tell? <laughs> And speaking of knowledge of the future, we had Brainy, when they were interacting, say, do I know you? And if you don't know this, in the comics, in the Legion that's in the future, there is Nora now, who's called Dream Girl, who will end up being Nia's great, 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 great grandmother. So perhaps Brainy had recognized her in that way and that she looked like Nora now of the future. Yeah, and that was a really cute little scene because... You can see on Brainy's face that he recognizes the name when she gives it to him. And you can also tell from the way Nia responds that she seems to know that he will recognize it. Hmm. Because she leaves off with this very flippant, like, here's my name. If you really want to find me, you'll figure out how to. Which indicates that she might know more about him than we are aware of Hmm. at the moment. I'll be interested to know, like, how much of this is cognizant like how how much of it she's really aware of and if she's like oh i just had a prophetic dream let me go to this place or if she just feels compelled or yeah since we don't really know yet how her powers work or how much she understands how they work because it it was clear that she was very afraid to step in and intercede in that moment in the pizza shop even though she knew that if she didn't, maybe something bad would happen. Which makes me, on one hand, think that this maybe hasn't happened very much before, but on the other hand, she did know that she was dreaming about something real that she needed to go deal with. So we just, it'll be a mystery that we will find out more about as the season (laughs) progresses, I guess. Yes. And then speaking of the incident at the pizza shop, I like that we both had the same reaction as far as looking at kind of Brainy's storyline in the episode, which was mm-hmm. just uh, the iconic Leslie Nope <laughs> quote. I sad. Which is really the only thing you need to sum up that incident because it was really that was a, that was a moment where the authenticity really rang through in mm. Brainy recognizing that this person who had been friendly to him wasn't actually friendly to him as a person and was just looking at him as like a category of people and being personable based on that. Mm -hmm. And the part where, and I missed this on my first go around and I didn't notice it until I watched it the second time was the reason he's so upset is because the, the pizza owner actually greets him by saying, Hey, my friend. Yeah. And Brainy took that to mean that on some level, obviously he knows they're not friends in the same way he's friends with like Monel or Imra, mm-hmm. but he took that sincerely. Yeah. And, you know, on some levels, Brainy's kind of actively learning how to interact in any given situation socially, which kind of makes it more upsetting that he initially thought that there was more of a friendship than perhaps there was. Yeah. But then he also brings up the point of how he knew that this was a difficult period in history, but he's never had the experience of dealing with that kind of 
negative sentiment, which is like a great hope for the future, <laughs> uh, but a really rude awakening if you've never felt it before and suddenly you're feeling it all of the time because it is a great mental strain. It is a great emotional strain and it, it takes up a lot of your brain power, which we saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really liked how they represented that because it's something that is written about in a lot of literature on people who experience persistent like racism and discrimination and how it affects them cognitively. So the fact that we actually saw it, it, that it got under his skin so badly that even he as like a living supercomputer couldn't function efficiently enough to do the things he needed to do was really, that was a nice bit of storytelling. I think the the show tends to excel at authenticity emotionally Yes, in those sorts of situations. So that was cool. And I really enjoyed that conversation between him and Alex and just his performance in that, actually, because we see him as a character. He tends to be very, like, awkward and, like, maybe comedically stiff. Yeah. And just that sort of, like, slowing down into that real emotional moment was nice to see in the character. Yeah, and it was interesting to see from both sides because Alex handled it really well too and it again emphasized the fact that even if she doesn't always say it immediately she recognizes what's going on with people Mm -hmm. because she came back and she was like so you want to talk about the thing that happened because obviously it's bothering you yeah i remember watching her sort of recognizing it over time and being like oh this is a very similar situation as to what we would see with her and and Kara. Yes, which actually makes me wonder if we're going to get more context for Kara's very Kara Danvers anxiety about the social shift and the emotional shift that's happening in society because Alex did respond very much like she was talking to Kara. Mm -hmm. I hope so. And I loved Brainy's response after Alex kind of reached out to him and was basically big sister to him and was like, if anybody gives you a hard time, send them to me and I'll beat them up. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he was like, all aliens deserve an Alex Danvers. And you know what? They do. Yes. And I really liked that because that, again, was reinforcing the idea that Alex in her own way is just as much of a hero as Kara is when she puts on the suit. Mm-hmm. I felt very close to the core of the character. Yes. It's one of those phrases like, ah, that's going to be quotable forever <laughs> because it's so apparently true. Alex is that ally you need. <laughs> that said, Alex had some issues of her own going on in this episode that uh, it'll be interesting to see what the fallout, ha, fallout Ooh. of them is. Because while Alex was, Alex was busy paying attention to what was going on with Brainy, she dropped the ball a little bit on the prisoner situation with Mercy and Otis because she wasn't quite noticing that something was off with her pal, Agent Jensen, mm-hmm. who still has no first name. Trader Jensen. <laughs> Trader, Trader Jensen. <laughs> yeah, he watched that exchange and that was after the conversation that he had with Mercy and Otis. And he seemed sort of, I don't know, I got like a jealousy vibe. I did initially too. Like when I first, when they first introduced him and his interactions with her, it felt very much like there was a lot of hero worship in there. Mm-hmm. And and if, I don't know if it was meant to throw you off by thinking it was just like he was frustrated that she was spending so much time having a really personal talk with somebody else. Mm-hmm. But he 180'd real hard, real fast mm-hmm. on his loyalty, which... I I am eager to see what the explanation for that is because I kind of felt like Mercy was choosing her words like weirdly precisely. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, I don't know that it's necessarily like some kind of mind control thing, 
But it was interesting because when you saw him walk by to check on them, Otis initially gestured like he and Mercy already had some kind of plan in place that they were carrying out so that they could get out, which makes you wonder, like, then they intended to get captured in the first place because why else would they have taken the time to find out enough to psychologically profile people in there. Yeah, because Otis had had been kind of probing Alex about whether or not they kept the lead dispersal device there, which we saw them later use, so. Oh, yeah. Well, then, it was all a carefully orchestrated plan that (laughs) nobody figured out yet. (laughs) Yeah, but I figure with Jensen, it's either something tricky in that sense, or (laughs) he has, like, emotional problems. Well, you know what? It was funny. I don't know how likely this is, and I don't necessarily like to theorize too much, but we'll find out the answer in a few days anyway. They did kill an empath at the end of episode one, so I was like, what if they're like harnessing the powers somehow? Hmm. Because Mercy did bring that up to Lena in the fight scene in, in 402. True. And that would certainly help a politician. It would. Having empathy. And being able to, yeah, and because and then you saw him giving that speech and saying, I want you to feel this feeling at the end, and Jean was around hmm. kind of looking at people like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. This is suspicious. That's that's an interesting dynamic then because it would be you know Jean is a mind reader and then theoretically agent liberty is an empath or he has somehow figured out how to amplify emotions or do something mm, perhaps but i it crossed my mind because how how much mercy in her conversation with lena was talking about we wanted to move beyond just knowing about aliens to figuring out how they work so that we can take advantage of that and create our own like defense systems and weapons essentially yeah which is again very much picking up on cadmus and like even red tornado and stuff like that from seasons one and two mm-hmm. and then my last <laughs> closing my closing thought about alex which was just a nitpick and it, it was a neat character moment because it showed her inexperience a little bit as a director is because she should have thought about this mm-hmm. was why in the world would you put two prisoners who you know are colluding together in catty corner cells with glass doors where they can see each other and communicate. Like, that was a mistake <laughs> that she should have known better. But it also called my attention to the fact that you had every storyline in this episode, essentially, was about people who were trapped in a situation. You had Mercy and Otis quite literally locked up in the DEO. Mm-hmm. You had Kara and Lena and Eve stuck in the lockdown at Elcorp and trying to figure out what to do. You had the situation with Brainy and Nia in the pizza shop. You had President Marson kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place as to whether she should resign or not and figure out what was best for the country. And then you also had James's dilemma about what he should do as far as being the leader at CATCO. Hmm. Um, so that was actually really neat as kind of a little thematic thread that ran through all of the plots of the episode, which I appreciated immensely. Um, and then a couple other thematic things that came up. One we noticed last week, but we didn't have time to mention, was that the show is definitely setting up for a whole season dealing with sibling dynamics and... Mm-hmm giving us pairs of siblings who are foils of each other. Which kind of connects well back to season one. Yes. With the Astra and Alora paralleling Car and Alex. 
Yep. So you have Mercy and Otis Graves is the most obvious one at the moment. And it was really funny because Alex seemed really irritated that Otis was protecting his sister. Like she wouldn't do the same thing. Uh, <laughs> so you also saw later in the inter- in the one interrogation scene, Alex and Kara as a tag team kind of coming at Otis and Mercy and Alex making her comment about, I'm not the one who changes hearts and minds, but she is. And she's really good at it. So like, Mm-hmm. Which I had noted that I wonder if that will change relating to Agent Jensen. Oh, you mean if Alex will also it turn out to be better at converting hearts and minds than we think? Mm-hmm. Possibly. Well, and then we also in this episode, we we got a lot more insight into Lena's dynamic with Lex in terms of siblings. Mm-hmm. So knowing that he's they're casting for him and that he's going to play a bigger role later in the season will be really interesting to see in in a contrast to Alex and Kara because of those similarities with like the one biological and one adoptive sibling and kind of some of the differences there. Mm-hmm. And then we also found out, they just put out an announcement um, that they have cast someone to play James's sister who will be joining yes. the show at some point later this season as well. I think we may see a siblings episode in our future. <laughs> there might be a lot of, a lot of sibling themed content, uh, which I am perfectly okay with. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then another thing that happened a lot in this episode was we saw kind of contrast in leadership styles among a number of different characters. So we had Kara as Supergirl, Alex and James all at different points taking kind of the same tack with the rising xenophobic attitude and basically going like mom voice on people and being like, enough (laughs) is enough. Put that Mm -hmm. away. We are here to do this and not that. And I don't want to hear it anymore, which on the one hand, yes, that's how you reduce those kind of problems. But on the other hand, when you set that tone immediately, then the negative stuff goes underground. It's still happening, but now you're less likely to know it's happening. Mm-hmm. And so it's sometimes that strategy can backfire unless you have someone who's gathering that information for you by being a more seemingly relatable person like Jean for example. Indeed. And so through Jean, we actually get insight into the kind of contrasting rising leader in the story, which is Agent Liberty. And we've known since the previous episode that he's either working with the Graves siblings or he's their boss. It's not totally clear which, but because Jean has stepped out of his his leadership role and those confines at the DEO, he's able to go and approach people actually in much the same way that a beat reporter would Hmm. and just ask questions and get a feel for what's going on. And through that, we're able to get a much deeper look at this other ongoing theme of the season, which is what fear does to us. And Jean's conversations with people reveal a number of very natural and logical fears that actually were like a positive world building thing. Mm. Because you hear Agent Liberty specifically mention problems of unemployment, people who lost their homes due to the recurring alien attacks, mm-hmm. people who experienced PTSD as a result of, you know, Myriad or the Daxamite invasion or rain attacking everywhere any of the many things that happened in National City. And the other thing that the other key statement that came up when Jean went to see the cop who was in the bar was the guy says the world's changing and I just can't keep up. I feel older and less relevant every day. And it was a funny moment because 
it made me think of Kat's advice to Kara in season one about how you have to find the anger behind the anger. Mm-hmm. So I'll be curious to see, since we're seeing Kara step up from mentee to mentor, if she remembers that piece of advice. And if it factors into her approach to dealing with things, because at the moment she's really looking at it from a surface level and Jean is trying to gather the information about what's really going on and why are these people so willing to listen. Yeah. And these past couple episodes, we've saw Jean kind of as the touchstone for the longer arc of the season, um, connecting him to Agent Liberty. And also we saw in this episode that the character of Manchester Black is going to be introduced through Fiona. They were going to be getting married. So those are a couple things that tie us into the longer arc. And I do wonder if Kara, if her storyline will kind of bring her closer to Jean and learning maybe lessons through that lens. My inclination is yes, just because the amount of time that Kara spent with Jean went up substantially over the course of season three Mm -hmm. as she got more into kind of figuring out her identity and who she was as both an alien and as Kara Danvers. So my guess would be we'll see a little bit more integration on that front. Yeah, I hope so, because they are high on the list of my favorite interactions. Yes, And then random observation that doesn't really fit with anything, but I don't think crossed too many people's minds because even the closed captioning didn't catch it. In the scene where Alex is interrogating Otis Graves at the DEO, he makes a comment to her about the DEO being as cruel as ice and all the text has written it ice like the word ice in lowercase like frozen water Mm -hmm. and i was like yeah but that doesn't make sense to say cruel as ice you would say cold like Mm -hmm. that's the expression and then i realized he might be talking about ice like ice the immigration and customs enforcement agency which which would make make a lot more sense Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and i don't think like anybody caught that Mm-hmm. And I only noticed it because when I rewatched it on the CW site, I had the subtitles on and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> so that was nicely done. Whoever yes. thought about that line. Mm-hmm. Oh, and one last thing that you had noted about Jean oh. <laughs> <laughs> was that right? the reaction that um, some of the people at the DEO had toward President Marsden's situation. Yeah, I, I was a little puzzled as to why some of the DEO agents were so offended by the fact that President Marsden kept her alien identity a secret when Jean literally went through the same thing in season one and presumably he hired most of these people because mm-hmm. not too many of the really racist and xenophobic holdovers from the days of uh, Hank Henshaw were there. Those All those agents look fairly young. And, and like, if Jean didn't hire that person, that means Alex hired them. Mm. So that would make it even weirder. And, like, the part that's the most weird about it is I think within the same scene or shortly thereafter, Jean comes in as a visitor and like everybody's coming up to him and shaking his hand and hugging him. And it's like, okay, but he is also an alien who masqueraded as a human and ran an entire government organization, but you have no problems with that. Mm-hmm. And he did sort of, he was in a similar position to be relating to alien specific things. Yeah. So there's as much a conflict of interest. Exactly. Cause he could, he was very definitely reforming it from its original purpose. Mm-hmm. 
specifically because he was an alien. <laughs> yes. And then I also, we mentioned before we started recording, President Marsden pardoned him for that. So that's awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. It doesn't look at all questionably self-interested. Maybe the people at the DEO are like, how many of them are there of this Everyone situation? Is. How do we know? Ooh, I wonder if some of them are going to want alien detection devices at the DEO. Mm. Ooh. That could be interesting. So looking forward to next week's episode, which is called Man of Steel. Which is not going to be about Clark Kent or Superman. No, it is apparently going to be about Agent Liberty and his, his steel mask, I guess. We'll find out the origin story for that very Dr. Maru-like bodysuit. So according to the uh, description of the episode, it'll be a sort of flashback episode of his kind of origin story. And something I thought was interesting because you had talked about how Agent Liberty was playing upon people losing their homes in alien attacks. Mm. In the promo for the next episode, it appears to be him with a woman standing and looking up at a house and something crashes into it. And it looks like it has a cape. I'm not sure if it's like Supergirl or somebody else. Huh. Interesting. But some figure it looks like mostly blue crashes into what I'm thinking might be his home. That would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, certainly a plot twist. <laughs> so we'll see his his backstory. Spend a lot of time in the episode on that while <laughs> Carr's taking a nap. Um <laughs> Very conveniently, because these were the episodes that they started filming while Melissa was still gone on Broadway, so she wasn't physically there to be in them. Nope. So you'll probably see a lot of body doubles and... We'll see a lot of views of Kara from the back. (laughs) Or her face turned away already in the promo. (laughs) I'm like, that doesn't look like her news. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And possibly we'll see whenever the suit comes into play. Oh, her, uh, the suit they revealed for Kara? Yes. Which I don't know if it'll be this episode or... Or just in episode four. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Because I think we'll have some Lena and Brainy interaction. So I don't know if like how much time they would end up spending on that in this episode. So depends. I have to say it's been interesting so far to see how not having access to to their lead has caused them to really mix up the characters a little bit more and to... Mm-hmm spread out who gets time on different storylines. It's actually been a really nice change of pace. Hmm. Yeah, it was interesting. Like in this episode, most of Kara's content happens in the back half of it. And it all happened in like indoor things that could be shot in the studio. Yeah. And one location really and one storyline location and with a select group of characters. And there wasn't a lot of stunt work for Kara. No. Although (laughs) I did find it amusing at the end of the episode when she was hit with the kryptonite. Oh, Kara has a habit of like flying happily and then something kind of interrupting dramatically. Yes. <laughs> like when um, she like was like in the pilot episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's like fly, like smiling and like, oh, things are all right. And then something literally like crashes into her. A dart hits her or like. Mm-hmm. Or, or Astra tackled her out of the sky. Oh, right. Here's a burning question. But does Supergirl ever have moments like when you're as a bike, a biker where you accidentally swallow bugs or other creatures <laughs> as oh, you're man. moving quickly? I really want to know. <laughs> I would really love to see like a comedic scene of Kara getting somewhere and she's covered in like bird feathers or <laughs> like, <laughs> wiping bugs oh, out of her hair because she threw, like, flew through a gnat cloud or something. Oh. Like, <laughs> we saw her fly into a pile of dirt. So there's that. <laughs> that is true. But not anything sky related. But I mean, you figure like when you when you drive your car down the highway for an hour the windshield is filthy like Kara, you're going a lot faster maybe she flies really high maybe she flies higher than the bugs 
Maybe. Although we do see her, like, in emergencies, like, in the... Lower to the ground. ...premiere episode that she, like, flew right by a newsstand. <laughs> she sure did. To catch that. Specifically so we could get a nice close-up of that newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> so, that is all for this particular episode of Supergirl's Attic. Feel free to hit us up with questions, comments, or suggestions on Tumblr, Twitter, or Instagram, at Attic. And we'll see you next week for episode three of season four. Yep. Thanks for listening.